Welcome to the Magmatic Security Squawk Box Podcast, a security-focused podcast made by Mac people for Mac people. For the week of August 5th, 2012, let's begin. Social Engineering, iCloud, the curious case of Matt Honan. Well, former journalist from Gizmodo, Matt Honan, had his Apple ID account compromised along with some other accounts. Uh, This resulted in the attacker gaining access to the single point of failure of his devices within the Apple ecosystem. Uh, Of course, the attacker then wiped his iPad, his iPhone, and I believe his Mac Airbook as well. This gets to the whole idea of understanding the risk associated with a single point of failure such as your Apple ID and how best freelancers or the organizations who hire freelancers can deal with this single point of failure. First of all, when it comes to bring your own device and bring your own ecosystem, cloud, I am a big fan of this because I consider it an opportunity for both an organization and for an individual who's a creative. And of course, since we work on Apple products, most of the work that's getting done is of the creative nature. But one of the key points that I try to instill in people that I work with is that if you are a freelance creator and you are going to be working with our organization, you need to have an Apple ID that is separate from your personal account. This allows us some management and control over the ecosystem that you are going to be working in. And the reason we want this control is to benefit you. It allows you not to accept the liability as the creative in the process of providing us a service, which is maybe doing some photo retouching, laying out a page, doing some web development, so on, so forth, and et cetera. We think that in general, you should maintain those two separate accounts. This is something that with developers that I work with, they usually do as well. The developer will have one account that handles all their development process and then one for their personal account that might include all the other things that are at home. Now it does appear that Matt had a very big online presence. He had a Twitter account, Flickr account, Tumblr, Facebook, Last.fm, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Google+. So for a social engineer, Matt provides all the information necessary to allow a social engineer to pretty much have their way with any identity speed bump that an organization might put in place to prevent this from happening. That's not to defend Apple. Apple does need to review its policies and procedure, but also Gizmodo does as well because if Matt was bringing his own ecosystem and had access to critical parts of Gizmodo's infrastructure or social media presence, which it does appear that he did because that was hacked as well, his Twitter account, thus it showed up on Gizmodo, then Gizmodo has to look at its policies and procedures. And we can see what has happened over in England with the recent uh, last year of phone hacking and organizations doing this. The idea that somebody works for CBS um, Media if you're working for CNET and you're bring your own device and your account is not managed by their security, their CSO or their, their internal computer security 
uh, is just an extremely, extremely risky thing as a freelancer. Uh, you're going to accept liability and organizations might hold you liable or this can ruin your reputation for future work. Uh, in the case of uh, Matt, it does appear that the, uh, he spoke to the criminal hacker who said they uh, didn't guess your password or use brute force. I have my own guide on how to secure emails. This might have been that he created his own way to do that. He might have purchased these items. Uh, Matt, by his own very uh, definition, said that this ID and his password was only seven characters, alphanumeric, and is three years old, which again, if I was dealing with an organization who had an employee like this who was putting company data behind that, that process and relying on that, I would, you know, that person who would be in violation of whatever our policies and procedures were as an organization and we would have to address that for, for in this example, uh, we would then have to approach the creative and say, well, we don't want you using your personal Apple ID uh, to store anything uh, that related to our, our relationship in the creative process. And if a creative cannot do that, then as an organization, you have to be brave enough to say, well, we can't do business with you. And believe me, most creatives are willing to do business with you. And when you sit down and rationally tell them why you're doing this, I think they understand. The second issue that you have with a case like this is the idea of backing up your devices. Apple provides many ways that you can back up your devices. I recommend that you do an encrypted backup to your computer, to your Mac of any iOS device, your iPhone, iPad, uh, at least once a month. Even if you're using the iCloud service, I recommend putting it on your Mac. And then I recommend as well that you back it up via Time Machine. Time Machine is a very easy to use backup system. It works really well. And the great thing about it is you can take a small little hard drive, a USB drive, once a month, plug this into your computer, back up your complete computer, take that little drive, put it in your firebox, or put it off-site, because if you are creative, you don't want to lose everything. If you spent the last year, 10 years, building a portfolio, you should have that backup in a safety deposit box, or at least in a firebox at a, a location that you trust, just like any other important document, like your birth certificate, your driver's license, or your passport. Uh, in this case, as I do feel sorry for Matt in the situation that has happened. Uh, social engineering, there is a great risk, and I think the best defenses against this is limiting what data is publicly available about you, managing the backup of your devices so you have control over that. If you are a company that's working with creatives, do not allow them to use their personal accounts. Bring them inside your security umbrella. Use your accounts and manage those accounts effectively. Gatekeeper code signing. Well, Mountain Lion has been out for about a week and a half now. And although there haven't been too many bumps in the road from what I've seen with some of my customers, I am getting a lot of questions related to Gatekeeper and how best to manage this. Uh, one of the issues with Gatekeeper is, of course, the idea of code signing. And if you need applications that are not signed by known developers. Fortunately, most of my clients are using applications 
that are actually signed by known developers. But every now and then you might run into the case where you need a particular uh, application that is not signed properly. And Apple does allow you to override Gatekeeper. Uh, this is, you can press the control key while clicking the app, uh, and this will override uh, and make an exception in Gatekeeper. Of course, managing these exceptions is important. And this is where the command line tool, SP Control, comes into play. It's uh, the security assessment system policy. Uh, this allows uh, the security assessment policy subsystem. And there's a host of things you can do. You can find the rules related to certain applications, remove those ex uh, exceptions, and then, of course, uh, you can also change them or alter them. Uh, we'll be posting some hints on uh, what the important command lines and flags are related to this tool. But for the most part, for most users, I have found that there is really no read, real need to override code signing. And we can think of the effectiveness code signing has resulted in when it comes to your iOS device. Having signed apps allows us a chain of evidence back to the developer. There's accountability and responsibility in the development process, and you gain a sense of that you know that this person has been vetted and can be tracked back in some way. Unless you know how to do a code uh, review, I think your organization, if code review is outside the scope of that, code signing is a very effective way to manage the risk involved with software development. Commentary. It's time to remove Java. Well, I think I can't say it enough, but today is the day, if you're not using Java, to actually turn it off on your Mac. It's really simple to do. Just disable it in Safari, go into the Java Preferences app, and just disable the actual Java runtime environment and the Java Web Start Applet uh, selection box. Java just represents too much of a risk, in my opinion, to Mac OS X. It is something that we are going to see more and more crimeware kits coming out that are going to try to get you to install these malicious Java applets and in effect result in your system being compromised by very easy methods and by very low technical skilled methods. So disabling Java is the best policy. And in fact, as I've stated before, both online and in our previous podcast, most people who are Mac users, most organizations who are using Macs are not using Java. So if you don't need it, turn it off. Well, that's it for the podcast for the week of August 5th, 2012. May your week be a creative and secure one.